Yes. Season two. Love it. Episode 15. You know, I'm, I'm going to cut in real quick, but I was walking out the door and the girlfriend was singing it. Really? I was pretty pumped. I had a client. We were at a property the other day and they made some sort of comment. They said, I've got rich habits. And they just, it's just going to slip down. And we just kind of looked at each other and like, we've been listening to the podcast. I'm like, yeah, you have. Yeah, you have. So, Show up to Guilty Simpson. That's a Guilty Simple, Sam, uh, Guilty Simpson vocal sample in that beat. I just thought it was such a cool line. When I was broke, I had rich habits. And that's what it's all about, man. No matter where you at in your journey. Yeah. Like have the mindset, build the habits to grow wealth. That's what yes. it's about, man. We digress. <laughs> Welcome. Season two, episode 15. I'm Neil Andrino. I'm Chandler Halliburton. And today we're going over something that I had a bit of a meltdown with when Chandler mentioned to me because he didn't yeah. tell me that he was going to talk about it. And so I, I kind of fell apart. And that is the open bidding concept going across the board in Canada, meaning everyone can see what the offers are going to be and allow them to bid. And potentially, like, there's so many implications, whether it's on price points, uh, what it means for sellers, what it means for buyers. And I think for close to home for you and I is what it means for realtors. Yeah, so we rolled this out um, today. Actually, we can update the, the date on the calendar there. We, like, we, as soon as this news broke, we kind of put out a quick video. We talked about it live on, on, on the air. And by the time you're listening to this, it'll be gaining a little bit of traction in media because it is such a huge development. And we don't know the implications fully of it um, because it's one of those things that they sneak out this little press release on like a Friday afternoon, they go, oh, and by the way, we're going to allow for opening bidding. We're going to start this pilot program. And uh, yeah, we think it's going to be really good. And people are like, with twelve, Wait, With 12 what? other things too regarding taxes and stuff. Yeah, so there, this, first of all, was initiated by the federal government um, as part of their platform on housing. We talked about that before. One of the things they wanted to see was transparency or open bidding through the offer process on residential real estate. And the avenue through which they can implement that is the Canadian Real, Esto- Re- Canadian real Estate Association. So that is the governing body for all of Canada for what's called organized real estate. That's the individual boards here in Nova Scotia. It's the NSAR. And then in different regions across the country, they'll have all their boards. But they ultimately fall under the umbrella, the purview of CREA, the Canadian Real Estate Association, that in turn manages the MLS system. What you see is realtor.ca. Mm-hmm. So... Before we dive into that, yeah, we're going to go over our news. Yes, we are. We had a, co- a question come in from a listener, and then we're going to dive in and go through the full process of what it is. It's big, guys. It's big. This this is changing the market, definitely changing the market. And we're going to go, and we're going to go through it and see what we think it's going to do. Again, like we said, for buyers, sellers, realtors, and kind of the market as a whole. Um, but first, news. I'll let you go first. Yeah, so firmed up on that 12-unit purchase uh, in that I knew I know the financing is going to be fine. We're going to get that sorted regardless. Uh, So the big question mark was going to be the environmental. Mm -hmm. And it came back clean. (laughs) And I was like, oh, fired up, man. So pumped. Wish I could say the same as I'm chiseling out the basements of my buildings. Like, I... A lot of these buildings that were built in the 60s and 70s, which is the majority of rental stock here where we are, were built with underground oil tanks. We've talked a little bit about this. Why they ever thought it was a good idea to just bury oil under the ground in a leaky old rusty tank, no one knows. But it is problematic when you go to sell, especially if the mortgage is over a million bucks, under a million bucks. oil did come from the earth. I know. Let's We're just putting it back. Just go to your just home, throw, man. Just go back to your there. home. Um, 
but under a million bucks, you can typically indemnify, right? Which means you say you're not aware of any issues and the lender will, will lend you. Once they loan you over a million bucks, they usually want a phase one environmental, which is effectively uh, research and a site visit done by uh, QP, like an engineer uh, that can say, based on the databases we have, there was or wasn't an oil tank previously um, installed at that property, and then it was or wasn't removed properly, mm-hmm. right? So they check the database. Yes, there was an oil tank there. When was it removed and how was it done? Uh, if, if it was done correctly, no problem. Um, if it's still there, big problem. Uh, if it was <laughs> removed but uh, not properly, medium-level problem. Still a problem. Can yeah, confirm. yeah. It's, uh, it's sometimes feel a little bit silly because of the cost that it can, can add up to. Uh, but, yeah, that came back clear, so that deal Congrats. is going forward. I don't even know when it closes. Sometime in the summer. Love the building. People ask where you where you know how'd you come across that one. I'm like, I've been working on that building for years, man. I just always liked it, so I built a relationship with the seller. I told him, you know, we'd accommodate his timelines whenever it made sense, and just finally reached the point that it made sense for him. So, congrats, congrats. Yeah. That's, those are nice. Honestly, when you start those, it can be a little disheartening because they're like, yeah, I don't want to sell it. Maybe in five years, and you're like, oh frig. Yeah. And then that five years comes, and you're like, oh sweet. Well, you know, I've talked about this, man. If we could just turn all the rest of our life off and just go out there and hunt deals, we'd have 15 of these in the pipeline, and, and you never know when they're going to come up. Yeah. One could be next month. One could be in four years. But if you have enough of them in the pipeline. Uh, then you can get it rolling. So that was big for me. Um, my construction of the 60 units, um, <laughs> our pricing came in $2 million over budget, which is approximately 10% of the total budget, probably about 12% actually. Um, so we are going through some cost cutting, going back to some bids, just trying to squeeze it down a bit because between that increase in price and the increase in interest rate, the numbers on the project get smaller and smaller and smaller, which I know is something you're struggling Build with. like on. they do in Costa Rica. They have no windows. They don't need them. Not all, not all buildings, but a bunch of buildings I went in had no man, windows. We love Costa Rica so much. We man. love Costa Rica. We're going to start doing this episode live from Costa Rica. We're going to make it happen, Neil. <laughs> We're going to make it happen. Um, but what's going on with you? Um, I, kind of an exciting one for me. So I've harped and harped and harped and harped about buying land, and I keep running the numbers, and it's not making sense. And you're seeing here now, not that it doesn't make sense because you had an amazing deal on the land, and you're building a beautiful building, but the costs keep going up and it does make it kind of intense. And so you're having to utilize a lot of your assets and your income to make this building come to life. Um, and so I'm not in a position like you are. So it's, it's a very big struggle for me to make this leap. Um, and so I don't want to say I've parked it, but I've kind of slowed down on my obsessiveness with finding the land. And I'm more trying to find, again, bigger old inventory. So if I can find a bigger 60 unit or a 70 unit or an office tower and just by like it's like you manifest it. I swear. I literally just started getting obsessed with office towers. I've always I've been thinking about them for about a year to do a conversion. Just to, to do it, yeah, to be a conversion. Clear, yeah. So I buy an office tower where again the average like office vacancy here is about thirty percent. So most of them have empty floors, um, and a lot of the leases where they're commercial, they have like uh, the ability to buy them out. So you can uh, you can cancel them early or buy them out earlier, and you can usually negotiate because there's also a ton of open space. So when you ask a tenant to move. They can usually find something immediately mm-hmm. that might be the same price or less uh, in a, as good a location. Um, so anyways, long story short, an office tower has crossed my desk, uh, and I did write a contract on it. Did you? Yeah, I did. Okay. And so we just got back our counter this morning. And so I think we're going to accept it um, and kind of start going through the due diligence. Now, it's, it's a tight one. It's going to have to go fast, and that's kind of why we're getting the deal that we're getting. Why does it have to go fast? Uh, because the seller is in a position where basically he needs to renew his mortgage in a few months and mm-hmm. does not want to have to go through that whole process, and the penalties get exponentially larger, obviously. 
Um, so we're hoping to, yeah, go on this and I'm just going to run, we got to get numbers put together. That's my biggest thing. Like that's mm-hmm. where I was, we've talked about it before. Like I think last or two episodes ago, we said our top five things and numbers is everything. And so in this case, I've walked around the building and yeah, it, it looks good to me. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not the contractor, right? So I'm going to bring in a bunch of contractors, uh, and I'm going to get appraisals done and try and make sense to make sure that before I firm up on this thing, the numbers make sense to me. Have you talked to a planner about the number of units you can get in there, an architect? Like, is there any limitation on unit counts? Because you're, you're talking about taking blank slate, open, you know, um, offices and jamming units. I in have there. to do all that as well. Now, he has done some prelim, and he actually had an offer before mine for this. So he sent over a quick floor plan that they had done and an estimate they had. And there's some other stuff about, like, the land's big enough for an addition on the building as well for an extra 30-some-odd units. Um, so I'm working with that, but I'm going to double-check. I'm gonna That's the thing. So I have about six mm-hmm. weeks now to fact-check and verify everything. Um, so that's six a, weeks, eh? Which is tight for a building Woo! like this, and so it's going to be is tight. It's going to be a gong show to get it to get it put through. Um, but I'm I'm excited because right now on a super high level the numbers seem great. Um, but it, like I said, I think there's going to be a lot of unexpected cost. I know the elevators and the buildings are toast, the windows are toast, and it's like I'm looking at these windows and it, we're in an office building right now. The windows are quite a bit bigger, and they like they're way more built in. Like in a home, you can get an insert and slide it in, and even then, you budget eight hundred bucks a window or a thousand bucks a window. And then, like glazing wall yeah. systems are freakishly expensive. Exactly. So it's like it has to tie into the whole exterior and it has to tie into the interior because the walls are literally abut the windows. Um, and so, and then right now, where it's an office, none of them open. I love you said the windows, the walls abut the windows. Yeah, I should hope so. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, but you know what I mean. Like they're not they're yeah, not yeah, framed no, in separately. Like yeah, it's literally yeah, like a structural said. component to yeah, the building yeah. and like. Even like where we are here now, fixed, like, pain, fi- fixed pane or whatever. Fixed yeah, pain, yeah, exactly. Like this this little bump out is probably because there's a window on the other side, so they built the room around the window. Yeah, right. So, anyways, um, we want to add open ears and all that. So I'm just getting into it. Literally, like I said I'm probably going to sign up this counter here now after we walk out of here, um, and then get the ball rolling. And there's a few different companies that are also willing to take on the whole project top to bottom, which is actually interesting to me because. It's a such a gray area that I don't know what I'm doing. I've refitted a bunch of residential apartments, but refitting an office building. Um, we've talked about this. Other, the one thing I want to say about it too is it's neat is offices have such high ceilings. So I was in there and like once you pop off the ceiling tiles, like it's like 10 feet, mm. right? So I'm like... That's cool. Yeah. First of all, it's good because we can hide all the plumbing electrical in there. But with even with like a six or an eight inch drop, like the ceiling on these things is going to be super, super high. Um, so or I'm like, hoping. could you do open ceilings on some of like a loft look, but that's what I'm hoping looks. to do. Yeah. I'm, I, that's, and I was looking, I was popping a few tiles off. I was like, it'd be super neat if we could. Um, I don't know much about these buildings, but it looks like it was like, it's a concrete structure. It has no underground parking in it right now. It's all exterior. Um, but then the floors are like those concrete floor systems where it's like literally like sl- a slat of concrete with like the, the metal framing on the bottom side. Okay. Um, so it looks like it was almost like the building was put together and then they drop all the little panels on that make the floor hmm. out of concrete. So when you, you, anyways, we'll end up doing a video in it if I end up getting it. Um, and you guys can see what's going on there, but I'm, I'm super stoked. I think this is like a exactly what I was looking for and it helps again, makes me feel a little more comfortable because I run my budget and it makes sense. Whereas with the new construction, I was just feeling so tight and so stretched and the banks were wanting so much. Um, and I'm just feeling nervous about it right now. It also is, will be an incredible knowledge base to have because to go through a conversion like that, you learn so much Yeah. that then when you see another office building, you're like, okay, because what you're saying is like, oh, I don't really know how to do this. Yeah. Just like the first time you did a six unit building, you're like, oh, I don't really know how to do this. Mm-hmm. But you figure it out, you master it, and, and now you, you've got this really great knowledge base. So you're going to have that for a conversion, which is pretty cool. How many units ballpark do you think you can jam in that sucker? Um, about 50. Okay. Yeah. And we're going to keep a level or two of commercial. Oh, we are? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, and then there's the, the option, like I said, for another 30 outside. So it could be about an 80, an 80 unit building with another two to four commercial units. So you're going to, I know there's some retail space kind of in the bottom and then yeah. there's office. So you're yeah. going to keep both of those kind of, and then yeah. residential. Okay. And then go up from there as everything up on top is residential. Um, and then like I said, potentially build, I think the thing would be to do the building first and then potentially look at doing the back extension. Cause that would be, then we'd have to put in a bunch of parking mm-hmm. to suffice mm-hmm. the entire building. Cause we'd be taking the parking lot and converting right. that into a building. This is also where I might end up having to do some funky stuff with condo, condo corpse to make it all come together. Very, very, but very. I'm, cool. I'm pretty pumped about that. That's like the most exciting thing I have going on. The other, the other stuff, facing crazy prices on neighboring properties. What do you mean? The street so, that you almost yeah. own it all, but not quite. <laughs> exactly. And Spryfield, I've been just continuing to buy in that very tight little area that I'm in, and uh, a multi, couple multi units have firmed up on market at absurd prices, which I don't think make any sense. And now, of course, I'm asking these sellers, which who said they are open to sell, and. They bought the property maybe one or two years ago, and now they want triple mm-hmm. what they what they got. And they don't even have the rents where they need to be. They just said, well, I could rent for this. Yeah, and because they see these places selling on market. And, yeah, and yeah. I told them, I was like, I can't even get an appraisal to reflect that. Like, yeah. I don't understand how I'm supposed to achieve this number. So it's unfortunate because I almost would have had a nice full set up there, and I just don't think we'll ever end up meeting eye to eye on a price point. Mm-hmm. But again, I'll, I'll just stay on it and keep going. But I can already see my, in my head, I'm like, it's going to go on market. It's going to sell for something that I'm unhappy with. It's good for me because I guess everything around is doing good. But it would just be nice to have the full layout because then we can do consistency across the board. Well, there also is some softening in the market. You and I have been talking a little bit about this. Like the, the market's slowing down a little bit here. And yeah. whether or not this is a little lull as people go down south uh, and take a little break and Easter long week and all these things, or if this is indicative of something more, um, you know, they may go to market and not have the sort of success that the that the previous listings in your neighborhood had. This is true. I think there is a market softening going on. I don't think it's going to be a, like an extended one. I think there's going to be a short few months, and I think it's a mixture of a bunch of things, right? You just had the rate increases. I think there's a ton of buyer fatigue. I think there's a bunch of people starting to travel again with the COVID restrictions easing. Yeah, totally agree. The first time the COVID restrictions eased last year, in like November, whatever it was, we had like a three-week slowdown on the market again. Same deal. Yeah, yeah. Not as aggressive as it is this time. But the layoff, like the the restriction cutoff was not nearly as aggressive as it is this time either. Plus, the weather's just starting to get a little bit nicer. But I know like travel agents and Airbnb clients that I have said their bookings went ballistic in the last week. Yeah. And so I think we are, that honestly has an impact on people doing it. Like they're just tired of scrolling through MLS 24 hours a day. And they're just like, man, eh, you know what? I'm going to go walk the dog and I kind of want to go to Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. Another shameless plug. Pure Vita, baby. Pure Vita. We're going to get that so. tourism Costa Rica sponsorship any day now. <laughs> um, okay, let's dive into our main topic. Oh, we got a question we actually. We got one first, question so. before we make yeah. that dive. So, this is Cole Bolger. He's a buddy of mine. Um, glad that he listens. Thanks, Cole. And he sent in a question, and I know how he's asking this because he is from here and he is now out of town. And so he is saying, hey, do you think property ownership slash rentals are, is manageable in the case where you live in a different city, province, or country? Um, than where you are like so basically saying do you want he wants to rent stuff here but he's not living here and he's just concerned that does it really seem feasible because i it's it's stressful taxing and concerning even when you are here and you're new to it but then to do it from away is that an option um he also puts in your how frequent do you think you need to visit the property um is it feasible to hire a property manager for general upkeep and maintenance uh and is it he's like i might not be here for more than four to or but the the the, hmm, the spaces between my visits would be four to six months apart. So I think as a first one, it's a little tough. I honestly do. I, I, I think it's 
totally possible, but very stressful, in my opinion, unless you buy like just a purpose-built investment. I have a ton of clients that do it. But I feel like if you're trying yeah. to be aggressive and do like definitely not doing the Burr model, I don't I think that's way no, you can't manage manage renovation cross country right now, especially with everything that's going on in the construction industry. It's just not possible. Yeah. Um, a couple things, I guess, is one, it's going to change the type of product that you go after. To your point, yeah. You know, you're not getting into a conversion. You're not getting into like a big renovation or anything like that. Yeah. I think. Um, but if you were say pick up a condo, right? Like we talked mm-hmm. about this before. Mm-hmm. You know, they have any questions? Call the condo court man. Call the property manager. Yeah. You're getting a built-in property manager right there. Yeah. Um. Alternatively, you need something that's really turnkey that you really feel good about the, the maintenance cycle that that building is on, uh, or you need to put a system and team in place and realize that that's going to potentially crush into your uh, into your cash flow. You know, yep. maybe a property manager or at least someone who you can build hourly to, to handle a couple things on your behalf that's going to be on standby, uh, and then it could involve before you leave town meeting with a plumber at the property. Um, you know, meeting with a, uh, an electrician and say, yeah. Hey, I want to show you this property because I'm going out of town. Right. And I want you to be loosely familiar with this property in the event that there's an issue and I have to call you. I need people I can call. Right? Um, so building that little team would be a good start. Um, d- assessing more carefully what type of product you're going to be buying. Um, but I, I do think it's doable, but you're right for a first endeavor. I don't know. It, it seems a little nerve wracking. I mean, I'm very fortunate. A lot of my properties, I'll, I'll go, you know, years without hearing from a unit, right? If they're happy, like we might talk about something in passing, but, um, and I don't you, visit You started the in a closed circle. Totally. Right. Like I, I intentionally selected properties that, as I joked before, like I could push a lawnmower between all my properties because <laughs> I used to mow the lawns. Right. Like, so Chandler's pushing a lawnmower from Dartmouth, Nova Scotia to Lunenburg now. Man, I was walking down Portland street hour with long drive. a lawnmower. Going between uh, down Portland Street and downtown Dartmouth, and another time I was going there like holding the ladder and be like honking at me, right? But um, yeah, do what you got to do. So it, the last part of the question was though, but how many site visits do you do? And and I'd be curious what you say, Neil. I mean, my bigger buildings, I'm in and out of there like once a week, kind of just in passing, doing dealing with something. Um, but my sort of single family, smaller scale stuff. Yeah, I drive by them every day, but that's about it. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I don't... Like, and the drive-by is coincidental, I should say, just to call. Like, yeah, I mean, I think this is totally possible. I think it's totally feasible to also to have a property manager and do it. Um, but you've got to do your due diligence. You're going to have to spend some time here. You're going to want to interview a bunch of property managers. Like Chandler said, you want to meet with a bunch of contractors. Um, you need to also have a kind of a risk tolerance and a stress tolerance. Like, you need to be able to go to sleep at night. And when there's an issue, like there can be an issue and you're just not there. And you kind of have to be able to just stomach the fact that it's not necessarily going to go at the pace you want it to, or it might cost more to fix it than if you were just there. You might be able to walk in and fix it. So if you can get over that, I think it's possible. Regarding visits, um, I've been fortunate and I think, I, not necessarily fortunate, I kind of made the choice that just have a property manager kind of the whole time because I wasn't prepared to do that. But I did do it for a little while, and it was very infrequent with with the houses. The houses yeah. I found were, were pretty relaxed overall, unless it was something literally like, a fuse panel was going or like a hot water tank blew. Like I really wasn't going there. Um, and the buildings are definitely, I think more frequent speaking with who does my management now. So it, uh, yeah, I think you can get away with not doing it, but I think if you're away and you have a manager, then they should be handling it. The hardest part I think is trying not to get hosed. Cause if you go for one property in general, I don't think managers are super excited about no. taking on one. So they charge you an arm and a leg. And if you only have one property, you're probably not making a ton. So that's, that's a struggle. I think yeah. in his specific situation, I think he's got family here, which makes it way easier. That, if you have friends yeah. or family, 
someone. infinitely easier. Also, I think um, it could change how you assess tenants, right? Because the first thing is with all those properties now, I put the tenants say, hey, you got to mow your own lawn. You got to shovel, you know, that that's in the contract now. And then I further, when I didn't like how infrequently they were mowing the lawn, I just now got some guys who go there all summer and mow it every, you know, 10 days or whatever. So those are, those are Chandler's kids. <laughs> yeah, they're not old <laughs> enough yet, but soon, <laughs> soon they'll be pushing that mower up down Portland. <laughs> My day was uphill both ways, though. Um, <laughs> but uh, winter. I, I think also if you have a good relationship with the tenants or if you can build a good relationship with the tenants, you say, hey, so as you guys know, I'm out of province, right? Um, and I'm always going to be available, but sometimes I, I can't be here. So and there have been cases where I've given my tenants um, the contact information of my service providers. Like, hey, if you have an issue, yeah. right, and it's, it's an emergency and you can't reach me, this is the electrician that wired this whole place. This is the plumber that plumbed the whole place. So you have these numbers. And the other day I was uh, popping into an appointment and a tenant had an issue with the tub. The, um, uh, I can't remember what they call it, not the mixing valve, but uh, effectively the faucet got, got a little stripped and he had the tub running and he couldn't turn it off. And obviously it was draining, but like at a certain point, like that could be problematic. The water's just draining, draining, draining. And I was heading into a meeting and I just gave him my plumber's number. I'm like, hey, call this guy, say who you are, say I told you to call. And the plumber just went over there and took care of it because I built that relationship with that plumber over, you know, five years, right? I wonder um, if like where leasing's gotten so competitive, if eventually like it's going to get to the point where the like residential tenants are going to have to take on more responsibility in managing their units. Well, I mean, I think two Or there'll be too concerned of it being done improperly or... Well, I think as a landlord, you don't want that, personally. Yeah. People are like, oh, it's okay, I, I fixed the sink myself. I'm like, uh, I'm going to go ahead and get someone to come over and check on that. Yeah. Um, but then there are scenarios where I think tenants are so worried about being a hassle or, or being evicted for being too needy that they actually don't tell their landlord when stuff is going on. And I know me as a landlord, I'm like, just tell me and I'll fix it, right? Like before mm-hmm. it gets worse. Mm-hmm. And but I can understand their fear on the other side. Of, well, if I complain about the leaky faucet, you know, is he not going to renew me? And like, and so there is that tricky. I have, dynamic a, I, have there. I have to say, I have one unit. I'm not going to say where it is, just in case he listens. But it, like a huge leak, like the whole wall, top to bottom, had to get ripped out in multiple rooms. He just hadn't mentioned it. We hadn't visited him in like a year because he never made a complaint. He just paid his rent every time, and then we had to stop by to do something. Yeah, and it was just like. Uh, the wall. Yo, man, what's going on here? Where did the wall go? And he's yeah. like, I mean, it's falling apart, but he has an amazing rent for his location. Yeah. So he was probably terrified that if he brought that issue, you'd say something like, oh, well, you know, got to rip this out and blah, blah. Yeah. But yeah. anyways, we fixed it. We left him in place and all is well. But yeah. uh, anyways, I thought it was, I was like, oh my God, just call us. Like we, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, anyways, we want to get in today's topic. It might be a little bit shorter episode. Chandler's got places to be. Yeah, um, yeah, man. But this is such big news. So again, when you're listening to this, this will already be starting to make waves through the news cycle. But I wanted to break it down. Um, one of the things that consumers have advocated for or, or been vocal about is saying how frustrated they are as buyers to not know what other people are bidding. And that has always been the way you, you know, you do not know what other people are offering. You may in some instances know how many bids there are. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is all the selling agent um, can tell you and it's it, infuriating the worst i, I guess I as don't a know. buyer as a buyer i suppose like yeah i don't know how much to bid. we get numb to it as, as yeah. agents yeah yeah that's but true. then every time that's i go true. to buy a house for myself i'm, I'm like, like holy I just, just tell me what you want 
and I'll just give you two thousand bucks more than the other. So in some jurisdictions, you can do elevator clauses, which says I will pay one thousand dollar more than the next highest bid up to five hundred twenty thousand. And in here in Nova Scotia, you cannot have elevator clauses. Okay, and it's, I always thought they were kind of funny because someone you says, just have oh. two elevator clauses. Well, people. <laughs> <laughs> well, then it's like whoever's elevator goes to the top floor, I guess. Um, but people are like, oh, I'll go up to five twenty. But only a thousand dollars more than the next highest person. I'm like, mm, I'm just going to go ahead and counter you at five twenty. Then doesn't matter what the other people bid. You know, if yeah, I know true. your five twenty is your number. True. Um, but here in Nova Scotia, you can't do that in large part because you cannot disclose information about uh, the offers that could disadvantage one party. So if I tell you, well, Neil, the highest offer is this. I'm obviously disadvantaging those people that submitted that offer. Yeah. So here in Nova Scotia, you can't do that. And across country, in most areas, you do not get that information what other people are bidding. And what they're talking about now is rather than have that closed blind bidding process, you will now have an open, transparent, you will know what other people are offering on the property, both in terms potentially of price, but also conditions. And beyond that, we have no idea what it's going to look like. Um, But needless to say, it's going to be game changing because you'll lose the nuance of negotiation. Um, Sellers may feel a little bit more exposed and you're less likely to get some outlier number, obviously that's 50 grand higher than everyone else. Um, but you were talking before of how you're not convinced that this will necessarily keep offers lower. Yeah. So this, like I'm, it's funny too, as I'm reading this article, like there's a headline in here as well. Trudeau promises new incentive worth billions and a tax on flipping to help Canadians buy a home. A tax on flipping means it's going to be more expensive to buy a house. Anyways. Um, no kidding. But Focusing on this, the reason I'm not so convinced that this is going to make it better, I, I honestly don't dislike this in some ways because no. it, it makes sense. There's a lot of random outliers. And I, like we were saying earlier, it's like I think there's not as many, like, I don't think there's as many outliers as people think. So I think it might actually not change it that much. But I think there's a lot of times that you and I get this comment from our clients. They're like, if I had known it was going to go for 575 I would have happily paid 580. So that's a case where this process could actually bid the prices higher. Yeah, and that person who did get her 575, when it gets bid to 580, they might be like, well, I'll go 582. I'll go 582. And and so I think there'll be a bunch of that that goes on where it's again more transparent and people can see the prices. They're kind of open to it because I see I think we're just facing it here now, but I think a large part of Canada has been facing this for a long time. In general, there's a large buyer's fatigue. And there's a lot of people who don't shop in certain price ranges because they're expecting certain stuff. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it happens so much that a house will actually sell for under kind of what it could have. It'll slip through the cracks, as we like to say, quote unquote. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, oh, I'm not going to offer that. It's going to go for like 600 and then it goes to like 525. I'm like, damn it. You know? Yeah. And that happens a bunch. And so I think it gives a bunch of stress for us too because I have clients call all the time about properties and like, well, this is right at our approval. And I'm like, well, it's going to go for way over. And then it firms up for asking price. And I'm like, God Damn, like, like, (laughs) yeah. And so like this, this could give them, but so I think on a price perspective, I don't think it's going to help. It might mess up some people who would have got lucky with some huge outlier bids on their properties as sellers. Yeah. Yeah. As sellers. Um, but in general, I don't think, and I think Australia's had this in for, I don't know how long now. So, so everyone's going to ask, well, what, how's this actually going to work? Yeah. And we don't know yet, but the model that's most likely to be emulated is what goes on in Australia. So I was actually involved in a conversation with an Australian agent on, uh, uh, another podcast and check it out. Uh, Sandra Pike does a podcast here locally and, and we had this great conversation, but if you'll humor me, I'll kind of give a little background as to what they do in Australia and, that is, I think, where we're going to be headed here. So Australia still has a process whereby 
they have an actual outdoor on the front lawn auction. So if you think things are crazy, those sound um, sick. Imagine a scenario, and there's a couple other countries that I think do the, do the same thing. And I know sometimes there'll be foreclosures down the states that have a, a similar model. They still do that, yeah. Yeah, but what the traditional auction uh, for a home in Australia looked like was they would start marketing a property on day one, and they'd say, "Hey, there are f- there's four weeks here that the property is going to be available. You as a buyer, you can go see it." You can do any inspections you want. You can get your financing. You can do all of your research in that four weeks. On that certain day, four weeks from now, rain, sleet, or snow, we're all showing up here, and we're selling that property. And you have no conditions because you had the last four weeks to get all your conditions. So you might have 20 people show up at the property, and that's 20 people who have already done home inspections, 20 people who already have their financing secure, and the only thing that's going to happen there is price. And they pay good money to have like the best auctioneers around like who's the best auctioneer in this area that can get the highest price and it's a science then it's not the realtor it's a third-party auctioneer service that comes in they stand out there and they auction the house now the house has to be sold for the maximum price because everything else is already satisfied all the conditions mm-hmm. are met and they the seller will have a reserve price say if it doesn't sell for this price i'm not selling it but anything they get above that the highest bid it's sold that day um, now, what happened during COVID, when they couldn't meet... Zoom calls. They started to have Zoom calls. They would have Zoom auctions. Jesus so if you had expressed interest in this property, you got a link to this Zoom, and they would auction it there um, online. And needless to say, when I heard this, it blew my mind. I thought this was the craziest thing ever. I, yeah, they still is, do this today. Well, a couple things. I, I actually think this is how it kind of should be, honestly. Like, I don't... I don't, not only how it should be, but I think there should be some of this system in general. Um, the impact it's going to have on realtors, I think we're going to touch on this in a minute, yep. but like, it's insane. But anyways, the only thing that would suck as a buyer, especially if you're going to go through the process, like you do all the due diligence, you go there, you go through the house a bunch of times, you bring you spend in contractors, money on your inspection. you spend money on an inspection, you go to the bank, you get all that bull crap done, and then you go to the the, the bidding process, and you're like, in, my, in your head, you're like, I got 570, the house up a certain 500. You get a 570, you bid, and then like within one millisecond, another guy's like 600, and you're like, all right. I've wasted four weeks waiting for this I've wasted auction. four weeks, yeah. probably $1,000. I've gone through this house eight times, and I'm not getting the thing. And you've gone alone because they virtually have no buyer agents at all in Australia. There's a role called a buyer advocate, which is a very rare role um, that they might help arrange the inspection and take you through the property. But otherwise, as a buyer, you are entirely left to your own devices. Okay, i got to touch on that because it's stressing me the hell out because I'm a buyer's agent. So, <laughs> You want to dive into that part? Because that's the first uh, we thing. We need to dive into it. I'm going to have an anxiety attack. Like, this is the death of the industry. There will be no need for agents. Um, this will just be an auction system. And, and can I just finish one quick thought? During COVID, two things have happened in Australia. One, you know, real estate has expanded. There's only mm-hmm. so many auctioneers out there. And then they develop a whole new subdivision where you might have 60 homes. Well, they can't have 60 auctioneers out there auctioning them all. So they've moved more towards an online system. And I'll tell you a little bit about what the online system looks like in a minute. Um, but you have these live auctions, but then you also are having these online auctions. And immediately the thought is, well, if it's just an online auction process, what is the role of realtors in this? Yeah, 100%. So... Again, I think this makes sense, like even as a realtor, but I know we have a lot of realtors that listen. And yeah, this is massive. If this actually takes on, which I think it will, because I think the consumer is going to want it. It's going to change the industry dramatically on both ends, whether you're a buying agent or a selling agent, because realistically, it's going to immediately push up. 
The guys are just passing around beers back here. I don't know what yeah, time is it? It's, like, it's it's nine a.m. No, it's I'm beer clock, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'll take a beer, please. Um, so, Boxing Rock, shout out. This d- break brought to you by Boxing Rock. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, this is going to change how all of this is done. Like it's, it's just even so the bar agents right off the hop get beat, but. It's going to follow through with the selling agents. And again, I was talking about this with a few other people. It is kind of nuts what realtors charge. Because, you know, the the rule, the, yeah, I know, I know, I, I'm getting the eyeballs here, but it is kind of insane how this industry has gone because all of our rules and uh, pricing and everything was put in place 50 years ago. And now the market's changed dramatically. The way houses change hands has changed dramatically. Technology has changed. I'm going to stop you. And I'm going to stop you. No, I, I, let me finish. Let me finish. And so that in itself, plus the fact that we can do it all online, thank you, sir, is going to be crazy. And then now this new style of homes... Can you homes help with that twist cap? Where... <laughs> I almost did. But the new the new style where, like, inventory is just gone on pretty much everything we own, but I feel like this is going to come into play and it's going to stick and it's going to pop the buyer's agents out for sure. And then it's going to it's gonna change it on selling agent side as well. Like, because you're saying, the auctioneers, that that's a, it's not a selling agent, it's an auction house company. That's doing it. And with technology, the cost to run auctions will drop dramatically. So I think for homeowners, it'll be good because it'll be a lot of savings. And it, But it, again, it, I'm just freaking out because it's going to change this industry dramatically. And this oh, industry has grown 100%. so much. So many people and, have gotten their license across the and world. And with technology, things happen very quickly, right? So like, oh, they're rolling this out a prototype. It's like, well, the prototype to actually like this is the standardized thing. Because in four weeks. I mean, it's, it's not going to be 24 months, right? And and for it to take on, like everyone nowadays is open. Chandler hasn't had a drink yet, and he's already so. hammered. But the <laughs> the I think this is a prime time for this to take on too, because it's not like it's a slow market. It's a hard market right now where people are willing to try anything to get a home. Anything. Right. Okay. Let, let, let you you uh, you, you said you said a lot of things there, so we got to back up a bit. Um, first of all, it, it's worth noting that in this system in Australia there's now starting to be an increase in buyer agent roles, what they call buyer advocates, because we're living in an increasingly litigious world and where everyone's afraid of their own shadow. And a big part of the buyer agency here in Canada is that buyers were, um, you know, imagine first time home buyer. You said they've got to arrange all these inspections. They're spending due diligence. They're showing up with a budget of 570. Yeah, and they're, they not, they're, not the experts, they're not yeah, home experts. They're not home experts. So they, you know, there's so much at risk now, so much at stake that you can argue that the buyer agent's role protecting their client is almost more necessary now than ever before. And if you see that Australia is actually increasing the number of buyer's agents, I don't think the buyer agent is going to go the way of the dinosaur maybe you think. However, unpack and just let me finish my thought. I'll let you go. All right, all right, all right. You all right, took fine. it for a long enough walk there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other thing is there's a bit of recency bias, and you've only been in the industry for three years. And so, yes, when, when homes are selling very quickly – um, you know, the selling, the listing agent commission for how quick the home can sell certainly can be be lucrative based on a time spent. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Markets are not always like this. In fact, the majority of the 13 years I've been in have been the opposite, mm-hmm. where you might have a listing for 250 days. Yeah. Right. And you are at open houses, you're doing every marketing. And funnily enough, when the market is slow, commissions actually go up quite a bit. When the market is hot like now, Commissions, and you've noticed this as well, commissions have come down in this market. We're getting squeezed. So there's, there's no question. So I don't think um, your kind of quick recency look of like, oh, well, you know, it's too much money for what the market is now. Well, explain that to the buyer's agent side because uh, there has to be an incentive for those buyer's agents to go out there and, and show all these houses. I would like to rebut you, <laughs> starting with the fact that you said funnily, 
I can't talk. I can't. I can't talk <laughs> anything because I can't speak. So no big deal. But really, so here's my here's my two rebuttals to that. So the buyer advocate thing, like, tell me an auction house can't just say like, look, we have an inspection process that we follow it becomes a standardized inspection. I'm glad you asked. Mike Holmes inspections. They can. They just do it and part of the marketing package for like if I'm a seller, this auction house, they give me a standardized inspection, which everyone across the board agrees with is the inspection. Totally. Um, and they, they give you all those items. They say, look, we, they can even throw contractors quotes like an auction house could be like, we brought them in and they're, they're qualified. Yeah. Here's another qualified contractor that throw a price against it. You now totally this, know and, 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 this. and then this becomes the role increasingly of the list of the listing agent. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, so, so much to talk about here. Um, you're right. When you have these, um, they call them campaigns, right? When you have an auction campaign, whether you're doing it a physical auction or if you're going to be doing it online, mm-hmm. the presentation of the listing changes quite a bit and how you service the, the, the listing. Because if there's no buyer's agent, you as the listing agent are taking every single buyer through that property. And as a result, the listing offices tend to have more of a team approach because it, it might take a few different people to engage with every buyer and get them all through the property, and you, you sell a little bit more co- collectively as the listing office. Um, but you're right. You can start doing things like bringing in the inspection in advance and saying, all right, the supporting documents with this file include an inspection and include all these things, and while buyer may be free to do their own, we're also providing this, and they also need to support the listing price and valuation with comparable sales. So because the question was always, well, who's going to advise the buyer on value? Well, as part of your listing package, you include all the comparable sales. Exactly. And when COVID happened and these started to move a little bit more online and as the real estate expanded in more areas, more transactions, um, those couldn't all have live auctions. So companies emerged that offered, offered portal services. So this was tied to the listing where, all right, here's the property. Um, our campaign is you can have showings for the first 10 days, similar to what we have here, and then it's offer time. And if you register your interest in the property, say like you raise your hand and say, okay, I might be interested in bidding in this property, you get a link to a portal where everyone shows up on the auction time. Kind of like, you know, when you're waiting for concert tickets and you get a link mm-hmm. and you're in the mm-hmm. room and blah, 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 or like on a Zoom call waiting to be admitted, like you are on this list, which means you can then bid on that property at the, at the set date. And that is where you can actually see what the other people are bidding. And as a seller, you have the freedom to choose how much information is disclosed to the buyer. Is it just going to be price? Is it going to be price and conditions? And here's the other thing. You can also do a campaign where at some point during, during the bidding, you can go dark, which means like, okay, um, everyone's seen the bid up to this process. Say you're on for three ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Right. And it hits 450. And then they say, okay, now we're on market, meaning we've hit our minimum bid, which is 450. We keep bidding. We're at 460. We're at 470. We're at 475. Then the seller goes, okay, that's all I'm going to show you guys. Now it's time for best and final. And then people submit their best and final. Interesting. Yeah. I, I'm over here kind of laughing because the one thing I was thinking too is these auction houses, they have to charge a fee, a commission. It's going to be presumably a commission like every other auction house does. And it might be well, less. Well, they hire like an individual auctioneer when they're doing them on site. But these portals are actually going to be provided and linked to the MLS system in the same way that AuthentiSign and DocuSign are tied to our transactions now. Yeah. That's what these portals are going to be. It'll be through the MLS, but via a third party portal. Yeah. But the third party is going to charge, like I'm saying, these, whoever's doing the auction at the end of the day, whatever company runs it through is going to charge a percentage. Yeah. On but it's, it's, it's minimal, man. It's, it's minimal. minimal. But I was just, I'm laughing because I'm like, what's going to happen is you're going to have luxury versions come up. 
and you're going to have oh, the, the, the metaverse. More, yeah, the metaverse, yeah. but you're going to have more services provided. And it's going to be like, I can pay $1,000 to go with this company, or I can pay $10,000 and go with this one. On average, they do better homes and they get better returns. And slowly it's going to like itch its way back up to being just as much as commission. Um, maybe not quite, but I was just thinking about that. But the, what was I going to say? Yeah, like, I don't know, this, the metaverse thing makes it insane because then you can obviously like do it all remotely. I do think this whole process is going to change dramatically. 100%. But it is still a very big emotional purchase and it's going to require a lot of people to be involved. Um, and I agree with you on your point of saying that I haven't experienced a market where things don't just immediately trade hands. But I think this is where things are going in general for almost everything and almost everywhere, unless a, a city or town is shrinking, um, for the simple fact that like our kind of like the human population and for pricing, like home construction is not going to meet in the, the requirements of people. And it hasn't in many big cities that have been growing for like 10, 15 years. Like Toronto yeah. houses sell instantly and they have been for 15 years. BC, same deal. Like a lot of these places, yeah. you know, Calgary was until oil crashed. And so I feel like that's going to become the new norm, especially when you think like the average person here is now not getting into construction-based industry. So when we need to respond and, and pr- produce inventory... We don't have the people to do we it. We don't yeah, have yeah. the people to do it. Like I think our the world is just kind of going towards that in general. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So you're saying like the, the competition for um, housing stock is going to continue to be to be high, high demand. And yep. I don't think you're wrong in certain markets, but there's also secondary markets where that's just not going to be the case. It's not even the case now. There's this misconception that this is going on everywhere across the world in every market. It's not, it's not the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the most highly scrutinized areas are trading like this. So a couple interesting points because I went to do a little bit more research because this has realtors in a panic. Like, oh my God, like, where are we going to be on a career? It's like, no, it's just there's predominantly just listing agents there and not much role for buyer agents. Mm-hmm. Um, and the commission, she sort of said ended up being in like the big expensive luxury areas would be around like one and a half percent. And yeah. then, but only for one side, right? Like, so as opposed to a seller that might get two or two and a half, they only get one. What and was half. the listing agent doing if, if the auction house is handling it? No, the auction host doesn't handle anything. The auction does. There's an auction who the shows the day up. Right, Sh- shows up the day of, just handle numbers. right, and and yells the numbers. Or the third party system is only just a portal, right, that tracks the offers. The listing agent does the presentation of the property and prepares all these things. Like maybe there's a pre inspection report. Mm-hmm. Also handles all the showings because there's no buyers agents, mm-hmm. right, and and pre approves all the buyers. So as a listing agent, you have to pre approve every single buyer before you can let them in into this portal. Because your job as a listing agent not just let any riffraff into that room and let them yellow numbers, right? Like, you have to pre-qualify them. This guy's so, only qualified for $3 million. We don't want that riffraff up in this house. Well, like, the, the listing agent takes on a lot of responsibility, but in, in the very expensive luxury areas, they get about 1.5%. In other, like, more, like, normal bread and butter, like, the most transactions, it's about 2 or 2.2. 2. Uh, a colleague of mine, Chuck, shout out Chuck, um, he looked into this and found that per capita... There are five times as many realtors in Canada as there are in Australia. So could something like this impact oh the number of, number of realtors? Yes. Yeah, maybe by like 80%. <laughs> Neil oh just God. laughed so hard at that. Well, one, so, there's no buyer's agent, so like you cut it right in half. Yeah, but so even, I'm gone. even on the listing side, like it, it'd be two and a half to one. Catch me on Indeed. Um, if you are looking for a washed up realtor in the Halifax Dartmouth area. <laughs> Neil's looking for a job. I am looking for work. <laughs> um, so listen, 
the the thing to remember is that there's no timeline as to when this is going to happen. Um, but Korea has already partnered with one of these portal companies that provide this service and will tie it through MLS so that if you're interested in a property, um, you would register your interest, you would get a link to a portal, and at some point you would pop on there and be able to put your bid up against other people and see what they're bidding. Um, and then potentially it goes dark and you get best and final. Again, this is the Australian model. This is what they're likely to emulate. It's very cool. It's big changes. It's coming down the pipeline. It's just a matter of when, not if. And we don't have all the details. We're just bringing it to your attention because it is crazy. I was going to say, how do you think this is going to impact investment properties? Because oftentimes the sellers just price is way out of this world, but basically they're just going to have a massively high reserve. And they probably investments probably won't go through this because like most of these guys, yeah. they just like... And the reserve pricing is key too because, you know, um, people like, oh, well, maybe I could get it for lower. It's like, well, if the seller puts a reserve up there that... It doesn't reach. It's just not for sale. Okay. And then there's things like, well, maybe they want to get rid of the reserve now to add even more transparency. Say, well, there's no reserve price, or there is. Like, hey, I'm not selling it for less how, than four fifty. You know, how can they not allow you to have a reserve? I, exactly. I, I don't. At some point, like you, you, you just gotta, have to sell your house. Yeah. Then, like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I need to sell my house, but I'm I need this much money to get out of it. Like, no due diligence though, too, which is beautiful. It's like once they say, yeah, you're buying it, deal is done, man. Deal's yeah, that, that's no fallen on inspection, no this, no that. Um, we got to wrap up here. It's a crazy topic. I hope you guys found that enlightening. There's going to be more news on it. I wish we had all the answers, but no one has all the answers on right now. Right now but no, no. I like I said, I, I'm just a little bit mind blown that this is happening. But uh, I think it will. And I think it will have a huge change. I think the big one, like you said, is the realtor number. Like, just look at what, how many realtors they have in Australia. How many are in Canada? Something's got to. This give. is a little point. Just a leading or a little parting thing is I saw an article today, or I forwarded an article about how. Uh, realtors are complicit, I think it said, in the housing um, crisis or, or the problem of, of inflated prices. And so that, and oftentimes people will blame realtors for the housing prices. Uh, someone prices. someone commented on one of a post we were talking about affordable housing, and, and she said, it's hard to listen to me talk about affordable housing when I just had a listing that sold for $400,000 over ask. And I'm like, I do not control what people bid on the property. I listed it for sale. If someone bids $400,000 higher than that price, I couldn't control that. If I could, I'd get them all to do it, Chandler you know, as a listing agent, it. right? Because I'm representing the seller in that particular case. Um, Chandler's you know, a problem. He sells more houses than I do. Well, that's factually true, but I don't get your point. But Boycott Chandler. No, no. <laughs> Bring all of your virtual listings to me. We're setting up the... Uh, we, before, before we end this, I just want to go over the quick couple questions we have, and you already answered most of them. But uh, right off the hop, Marcitis, will it show the value of the offer or just uh, that an offer was made? So uh, it, it, some of it's to seller discretion, but down there it's common to see the uh, price of the offer, um, but then some flexibility with respect to terms. And then at any point in time, they can quote unquote go dark and say best and final. Yeah. And showed up Mark Schfina. Old, you, we were in the okay. Yeah, something good. Uh, we know this guy, T. Ross. What T. determines Ross, whether a home will be part of the live tracking or not? Uh, well, Voluntary or? This is the other question is, uh, can sellers opt in or opt out of this? And how will you as a listing agent advise them? Um, the Australian market has like a few different options. They can also accept good old fashioned normal bids, mm. right? Where someone submits a closed bid and said, hey, it's just me firing in this offer. Like what we might call here preemptive, preemptive or a bully, bully offer. So it's, it's, more complicated because it could be an auction out front on the lawn. It could be an online auction or someone could just submit a bid. Number three, Edney P. Edney dot P. Oh, what up, Eddie? Ed, Edney. Uh, yeah. Why do you think they did this? 
I think they did this because there is a sentiment, rightly or wrongly, out there amongst home buyers in Canada that they are being taken advantage of and they're at a disadvantage, I guess would be better posed. And um, they feel like if they knew what other people were bidding, that that would somehow help them uh, have success in the market. Whether or not that's yeah. true, I, I don't think, know. Because prices trans- aren't cheap in Australia, man, and they're not going down. So yeah, I don't think it's going to help the price and stuff like that. But I think the transparency is almost yeah should should like be why there. Why would you not want transparency? I guess yeah. some sellers would think they can get more otherwise. But if you have a good auction, man, we've all bought stuff on eBay. The next morning, be like, damn, man, I spent way too much money on that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I think we've already talked about this in in, in length, but I gotta I gotta call it his handle. At domesticated manimal. Oh, what's up? All <laughs> uh, oh, my said, people's coming out here today. Curious to know what this means exactly for buyers and sellers. We've talked about this in lots. Um, the AUK oh. 47. I think it'll create more transparency and will make short-term bidding wars go higher, but over time, people will be less up, uh, aggressive up front. Uh, I think so. Really depends on the property. And, and I think like we're talking about, I think yeah. it's actually going to push numbers up higher on average. I think across the average, it's going to be higher, but I think we'll get less outliers. But also like if prices are a bit higher, but everyone trusts the system more, maybe that's not a bad outcome either. Agreed. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, number six, our noble or our noble. Uh, it'll help off market deals. In my opinion, I don't know how I, have a help off market. I think it's, I, I feel like it's, well, I mean, I don't hmm. know. Yeah. I don't know what's going to do to off-market deals. That's a good question. I don't know, because I think there's still this option that any time. Someone's like, hey, I want to buy your house. Cool, I'll sell it to you for this. Cool, that can now always happen. Uh, I don't know why that would help or, or hurt off-market deals. I'd have to yeah. sit with that for a second. I, I have to, yeah, same. Uh, and then Greg Pierce, fellow realtor, uh, this will not fix the problem. There are places in Toronto where you can auction real estate and the prices are just as crazy. Yeah, I agree with that. But again, uh, it's, it's a question of, well, maybe if they stay this crazy, but there's more trust out there, maybe yeah. that's not a bad outcome either. Exactly. So, all right, awesome. guys, got to run. Thanks for listening. Follow along. Check us out. I don't Follow know. us along. Check not. us out. We've both had half a <laughs> Boxing Rock beer now, and we're just completely lost, and we have appointments to run to. But thank you. Let's go. Later. All right. So this bidding situation, this adoption of transparent offers is really huge news. We've been spending a lot of time on it. We actually were reached out to by a representative of the company that's going to be launching this portal, the, this pilot project with Korea. So we have a full interview coming up on that. Yeah. Eric Bryant reached out from open with two ends. Yeah. And we dive into all the questions that you guys asked and he gives us great answers, explains everything. And then we had a bunch of questions as well that I think you guys would be interested in hearing the response to. And honestly coming out of it, I feel very differently than the original conversations that Chandler and I had on that podcast last time we spoke. Yeah, 100%. Like we get into what it's going to mean for the buyer experience and for the buyer's agents and also what sort of options you're going to have as a seller. So it's super cool. That's going to come out on Wednesday. So we had some ideas. Now we've got all, well, a little bit more information and it's really exciting. So check that out on Wednesday. Yeah. Thank you for tuning in for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating and send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Master Keys Podcast. See you next week. When I was broke, I had rich habits. When I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh.